Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. As always, my favorite part of the week when I get to be here with you, my listeners, and my awesome guests, and of course, Mr. B in the booth, taking care to make sure everything goes as planned and even as unplanned. He makes it seem so smooth and seamless. So thank you always, Mr. B, for helping me out, being in that booth and making sure that this show actually goes to broadcast. Today I've got somebody that I've been thinking about having on the show for years actually, and she's somebody I've admired since I met her at an Author 101 conference where I was speaking and attending, and everybody I know that comes to me and says, Laura, you know, you're so good at helping authors get books published and and just giving your thoughts on early editions of books and proofreading and things like that, and I often get asked questions about screenwriting because so many people I know want to have their books turn into movies or plays or TV series. And they're like, well, this book is so good and it did so well, or it didn't even do that well, but I think it would make a great movie. My life story is so amazing. And I I can't even begin to answer those questions because I don't know the first thing about what makes, a good screenplay because so many shows that I like and movies I like are critical failures. <laughs> so I'm the last person to judge, but my guest is not. I've got the amazing, amazing award-winning um, producer, writer, screenplay writer, a, a script doctor and teacher professor at NYU, Marilyn Horowitz is in the studio, well, actually on the phone in the studio with us today. Marilyn, welcome to my show, finally. Yes, thank you for having me on. And I remember having a really fun lunch with you back at the Author 101. Yes, yes. Uh, I, You know, I've never forgotten that day because I just thought you were so cool, so neat, and so down to earth. And, you know, sometimes you you meet people and they don't live up to expectations and then there are other people that exceed expectations. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very well, much. Those two ways. And I, I read your book uh, and uh, I, I had the same experience of, of, of going, you know what? I don't ask enough questions. Yeah. You know, to me, when, when I think about you being a professor at, at NYU, which has one of the, preeminent film schools in in the world, right? Um, second, second, second highest rated. Oh, it's only second? I always, well, you know, I'm a New Yorker, so anything from New York is always top rated to me. <laughs> well, the other one's in California, so we know why. Oh, okay. that, well, that makes that sense. That's all that. <laughs> yeah. We'll give them that. I mean, how did you choose screenwriting and writing and being a professor as your path because it's it's not the normal path for most people uh it's true well you know uh, when when you do things right the path finds you most of the time um and my experience was that i was always a writer um i was also a fine artist 
Um, but I got a scholarship to NYU, um, and it was for, for education, art education. I went and I went, can't, I can't do this. I can't cut out paper dolls for children. It's just not me. And my, my dad had a friend at that time that the film school was not, you know, what it is now or known. And so he had a friend and he said, well, you know, film, you're, you know, I come from a film family. My, both my father and my grandfather were general counsel of Columbia Pictures at different times. And uh, my grandfather was a movie lawyer who represented Charles Chaplin and Douglas Fairbanks and Mary Pickford and Lucky Luciano and Ernst Lubitsch. Wow. And uh, uh, my dad is one of the founders of MTV, so I, you know, I, I have a lineage. Um, and uh, I have a business head, but I wasn't very interested in, in that being that my thing. I was a fine artist, so I went to NYU Film School, and that's how I got there. And I was I was probably one of the only women in my class at that time who uh, made a short film, which I, I, I wrote, produced, and directed, um, which then got sold to Showtime. And uh, heartened by that, I just kind of kept going. And then I wrote a novel uh, called The Cold Room, which got optioned a week after I wrote it. It never got published. And I worked on that for a year. And then somehow after that, uh, one of my girlfriends got pregnant. She said, could you please take over my class? At SBA, it's the master class for screenwriters, and I, I laughed because my, I was definitely an anti-authority kind of student. I wasn't a good girl. And I thought, okay, this is God's way of punishing me. <laughs> i got to go back to school. So uh, I went back to school, and it, it was the weirdest thing. Within a year, I mean, the first day I walked in, three of my professor colleagues walked over to me and said, look, you know, can you help me with, our, with my script? And I'm like... <laughs> and it seemed that uh, my, my mother was also my mother was a philosophy professor before she became a litigator um, I kind of wish she'd done it in the reverse order we would have had a quieter childhood <laughs> but um, uh, she was a great great editor and I somehow inherited that from you so I was able to take a look at things and I, I struggled horribly and what happened when I sold my first book was uh, the guy hired me to adapt my own novel, and I thought I was cool. You know, I was an NYU graduate. Hey, you know. Turns out I knew nothing. And at the end of a year where I did 30 drafts, the who, how done it had become a who done it. Uh, and they were about to take the, the story away from me and give it to another writer. And I had a dream in, in which Joseph Campbell, the great mythologist, comparative mythologist, appeared, and he gave me. Uh, these 12 squares that I wrote down when I woke up and they turned out to be a vastly simplified version of the hero's journey and because it was 12 steps I realized that it perfectly fit any sort of American narrative film and I realized that I'd been given a, a, a methodology for structure and I was able to complete my rewrite satisfactorily, get paid and, and move on and So it all came to you in a dream <laughs> It really, it literally did. It all came to me and then, you know, within a year I was teaching at SBA and I had the system and then NYU called me and, you know, it just went, it was just one of those things. I say the path found me. But that sounds like the title of your next book. <laughs> I like that. You have good ideas. I'm writing it down. The path found me. It's actually a very good idea. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I think it's a great book. title. I would definitely pick up that book. <laughs> okay, well, I'm definitely going to write it now, so... All right, awesome. I said on radio, you're, you're, if it's bad, it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, well, let's talk about that. If it's bad, it's my fault, right? Because I've read some books that made it out into mainstream, got amazing contracts. I've watched TV shows that the pilots were accepted and the, the show started being produced, you know, they got their 10 or 13 episodes and they were horrible. And I'm like, how did this get on? And they canceled an amazing show. Right. Well, I mean, there, there are two parts of it. One of it is that, is that what, 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 what it would have sold is, is rarely what actually gets filmed because there are a lot of, you know, it takes the village to make a, to make any project, whether it's a web series or a movie. And uh, things change, you know. The, the, someone said you, uh, you know, movie or TV show is written three times. It's written, it's shot, and then it's edited, and then the fourth time it's marketed. So uh, it, it, what it would may have been good at the beginning, it's too many cooks, as you know, can spoil the broth. Um, that's one possibility. Another possibility is that there's a lot of nepotism in the business, and like any high-risk business, you want to work with people you know. So sometimes stuff that is mediocre uh, gets taken on because the, the people are known and they're, they're, they're easy to work with, which is very, very important. And, um, and then the other problem is that uh, people are not trained to understand story. And then a fourth problem is that you know, most of the people... Uh, who, who make the initial decisions are what a friend of mine used to call the nobodies, not as in nobodies, but their job is basically to say no. <laughs> oh, and, right, and they can't take chances because they can lose their job on a wrong call because there's so much money involved. So it's a very, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a flawed system, I think. Um, but, you know, I do think the cream rises to the top, just sometimes they don't know if it's cream, and that really, unfortunately, uh, in the modern-day world, uh, the, the creator has found to also be their own marketing specialist and agent until they actually get one. And the two skills don't often go together. So there's a lot of really great material that people don't know about. Which, to, you know, I know that there are so many amazing writers out there, both in terms of books and screenplays and, and all of that stuff. But when you say that there's these nobodies, that they're, you know, they're sometimes afraid to take risks or, you know, they don't want to lose their job. Their job is to say no. And it's the same thing in publishing where you got to get past that, that gatekeeper person. And the same, nepotism. Exactly the same. Say that again? It's, yes, you're right. Okay. So when I, when I look at this world that everybody wants to get into and I see what ends up coming out in pilot season. What fascinates me is they seem to have every network seems to be putting out like the same new shows. I think it was two seasons ago, every network had a show about Navy SEALs. Mm -hmm. Is there something that happens sort of in the, the zeitgeist, the mindset that, all of a sudden everybody's just going to pitch Navy SEAL things that year and every network independently is picking uh, screenplays on Navy SEALs? I mean, how does that process work? I mean, how would you even know that that's what you have to pitch that year because that's what people want? 
Well, you don't. That's why you have to have a lot of, you know, the, the, one of the things that I teach my students um, uh, and the professional people that I work with is I'm also a coach, is that you have to create a body of work. And so, uh, you know, one of the one of the urban legends is that um, uh, David Kepper, uh, uh, who wrote Jurassic Park um, uh, and Unforgiven, someone called him and said, do you have a Western in your draw by any chance? And he did. It was Unforgiven. <laughs> Just happen to have one laying around. Yeah, because you know writers write, and and my whole thing, you know, I have a trademark writing system. Right. And, um, uh, yes, and uh, which my mother did for me, by the way. It's good having a mother who is a liar. <laughs> and uh, anyway, the the point of the of the writing system was to because I realized that the thing that tortured me uh, and other writers doing dramatic literature was structure. And I found a way to fix it. And the, the Four Magic Questions of Screenwriting is a foolproof way of, of, of structuring any story. And part of the reason that I, I did that was because a lot of my private students uh, were people who were busy, they were working on shows, or they were doing movies, and they had to come up with their next teaching material. How could they do that when they were that busy? And the answer is you got to write very, very, very uh, efficiently. And so, yeah, you need writers right, and you need a body of work, and there's no other way around it. Okay, so what makes the screenplay so different from a book, like uh, writing a novel or a nonfiction book? I mean, it, it, it's a great question. Okay. Finish your question. So, so that was it. I mean, to me, it just seems like a foreign language, and it doesn't seem quite so literary. <laughs> Ah, interesting. Well, now you know why you are a master of the question, because um, uh, it's really true. It really is a different language, and when I, when I, when I teach it, when I teach writing, uh, uh, the first thing I say is that we're going to use our, our, our language differently, because we're using it to paint word pictures, because it's a visual medium, and one of the things that makes it fun uh, is that you, you have to show, not tell, literally. Whereas in a novel, you can talk about what's going on. You, you can say, last night she had a dream in which her mother appeared to her and told her she should take tango lessons. You know, in a, in, a, in a movie, you have to actually see her in bed. You have to sort of, you know, make the screen look different, to make it fuzzy. You have to now uh, do a scene where her mother comes to her and tells her that. And you have to have her waking up in the bed. You see what I mean? Okay, so you can't leave as much to imagination. You have to literally tell everything. Well, no, on the opposite, you have to show everything. You have to show everything. In other words, it's very, it's very different because you, you don't have the luxury of point of view um, and you don't have the luxury of, of the inner voice unless you use narrators. So the difficulty is, is the inner thoughts. That's why so many um, novels make good movies because the novelist has done the character work and the story work and then the, trans then the translation into a visual linear story is, is, is again its own art form but a lot of development work has been done uh, an interesting comparison is you go take a look at the, at, the, at the book Ordinary People and then you look at the movie you start to see what kind of alchemical work is done or Silence of the Lambs or uh, uh, any number of, of books that have been translated um, uh, Nicholas Hornby's books 
you know, you read the book, and the book is a first-person interior narrative, and then you go see the movie, and it's all happening on screen. So there is a translation. Also, movies are a certain length. Uh, movies have a certain rhythm uh, that people need in order to feel satisfied. And also, for, uh, for, for many reasons, you need to keep films to length, because otherwise they would become incredibly expensive. When you're writing, when your, say, book has been optioned to become a screenplay or you want to pitch your book to become a, a screenplay, do you have to let go of your book and the idea of your book in order to have it be successful as a screenplay? Well, again, you always ask, what's your question? Uh, I love them, but they're not really, you know, they're not bullet point answers. You know, I have to give you a slightly more in-depth answer. Right. Um, yeah, so the, the, the answer here is, it's a complicated answer, which is, you know, every every exception proves rule. Rocky, you know, with Joseph Shalom wrote Rocky. Um, people kept trying to buy it from him, uh, and he just refused. And he was living in his car, you know. Uh, and he just held on, and finally he sold the screenplay as it was, and he was in it the way he wanted to be, and it was a huge hit. And that seems so, like it's more of a, an exception to the rule where that seems exactly. to happen. Is that not correct? Yeah, it's it's, the, it's it's definitely an exception. I mean, for the most part, you know, like anything else, when you when you if you get your first, if you're lucky enough to get your first project sold. Um, you are going to have to be willing to uh, to transform the thing, and the reason for that is because I mean the, the good reason for that is because things get better, uh, you know, when when you have uh, other eyes on them. Uh, but you have to be able to con- you, you you need to be able to control when things get out of hand, if you like. And uh, it, it's it's complicated. I look at some of the big blockbuster stuff that's come out recently, uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the Harry Potter books, the Game of Thrones. And each of them, you know, Lord of the Rings, they tried to bring to the big screen and the small screen more times than anybody could count. And it finally took the most recent where it crossed three books three movies to really capture the the feeling of the books. And people say with the Harry Potter books, the books are so much better than the movies, which I agree as well. How does an author, if they're writing a book, and I don't know if this is, this is probably another not simple answer, Marilyn. You know, you have an author that's writing a book and they go from the beginning, I know I want this to be a movie or a TV series. Is there something that they can do from the get-go when they start writing the book or formulating the book to make it easier to be picked up or optioned for uh, you need a great story. You, you know, you, the three things that you need is you need a great concept, great characters, and a great story. I mean, this is true of any medium, any story, anywhere. And 
uh, in terms of, of answering that question, I, I work with an equal number of, of novelists, and I'm a producer. You know, Book of Zev is a novel that I wrote. and Which I love. Um, <laughs> thank you. And, and my other writers have been published by Doubleday and St. Martin's and so on and so forth. And the secret is, is that I use my structure that I developed to help people write novels. Um, in the sense that because there's, there's a map, the idea is, well, in a movie you have one map for the movie, but when you write a book, you have more freedom. We do a map for each character, and then we figure out how much the writer wants to actually share with the audience. And that helps make it, you know, more translatable uh, uh, because it, it was structured well. In other words, the, the whole point about Joseph Campbell is Joseph Campbell said there is an innate, almost biological, cellular story the way we organize our experience. And when we look at entertainment, we want that mirrored so that we can have a satisfying experience. So one of the reasons that I'm able to teach newbies how to write a decent screenplay in eight or 10 weeks is because you've been dreaming. Even if you never wrote anything creative, you've been dreaming three to five times your entire life. And you dream in this narrative structure, even if it's not readily apparent, which I tell your dreams, within there is this beginning, middle, and end three-part story structure. And I just reacquaint people with what they know about it and uh, help them see their dreams literally as shots. And then once those two things are accomplished, it's like, you know, the thing in Outliers where Malcolm Gladwell says you need 10,000 hours to have mastery? Right. Well, we have mastery. We just haven't been able to access it because we forget our own language when we learn English or whatever language we speak because we have a private language of our dreams. So... Uh, once you, uh, this is a long way around, but once you reconnect with your inner way of telling stories and you're able to understand your own process, then the, 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 the Horowitz system or my method helps you just put that process in a bottle so you know it's wine and then you can just go and then you can stir yourself with story, not with is the structure right, which is what, what kills many, many stories because people are, are working on the wrong problem. So what I'm, what I'm hearing is that pretty much anybody can write a screenplay that is potentially sellable if they follow a structure and connect back yeah. into this inner language that they have and, and tell this, this story. Yes. Yes, it's true. It's true, and it's true. I mean, we, you know, we, we, we have to put aside talents. Because remember, I said this, the, the thing you need is a great concept, you need great characters, you need a great story. But in terms of structuring something that is workmanlike and readable, the answer is yes. Well, there are several people I need to refer to you because I've read some of their early attempts and they don't have any of that together whatsoever. <laughs> and... You know, I'm like, there's a nugget here or there, but they're not connected. And, and that's where I think that editors are the, the secret sauce to any good book, any good screenplay, anything that we see out there. It's because somebody else has taken a look at it and helped the author put it together. Right, well, it's hard, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're, when I'm writing my own stuff, you know, I'm in the jar, you know, I, I don't have the objectivity that I have when I'm outside, you know, being, coaching someone or, or reviewing the screenplay. Um, and, uh, but really, the, 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 to me, the problem is that the structure, 
the way that I teach structure is so simple and it's so intuitive that then you, the writer can worry about the story. You see what I'm saying? In other words, probably the reason these screenplays are not good is that the need to follow all these books on how to write a movie. You know, there, there are you know, dozens of books to do it this way, do it that way. Okay. People get so involved, they don't enlighten their characters. Okay, hang on to that last thought, Marilyn, and when we come back from National News, we're going to continue with Marilyn Horowitz. We're going to learn the four magic questions of screenwriting, and I can't wait to get that because I have ideas. I have so many ideas, and I know you, my listeners, do as, I, as well, and we're going to find the secret sauce to Working on stories, and so, um, so the four magic questions help you go back and forth between the two parts of your brain. And, and keep yourself creatively structuring, if you like. Does that make sense? The way of connecting those two very different parts of you and, and making I, them dance together. I never thought of it that way before, but, you know, like the outlining process is very much the, the math brain, right? Okay, I have to do 10 chapters. Here's my totals. I have this many words I need to write, you know, writing a nonfiction or a novel. And then in a screenplay the acts, the scenes. I never really thought of it that way, how you balance the two, but, wow, no wonder so many writers are sort of psychotic. Well, and, they, and, and they're, they're unhappy, and it's, it's very, that's why things take so long. Um, you know, writers are very, very hard workers. They're just not necessarily trained to work smartly. You know, it's like working with one hand tied behind your back if you can't integrate. And when I developed my system... Um, and the, the other book is called How to Write Screenplay in Ten Weeks, and it's actually a workbook where it was designed because of this discussion about the brain, where you sit down with the book, and I do this in my class, and in two hours you can develop an entire story because you're going back and forth and you're dipping in. And by the way, I, because I was raised a conservative Jewish, I come from the Talmudic tradition of asking questions. So everything in my writing system relates very much to what you do. So that's why they're four magic questions, because once you ask questions, that's the way of promoting ideas, whereas if you make statements, as you know, you get nowhere. Very, very true. Or if you ask the same question over and over again, trying to get a different answer because you want a certain answer, your, your life tends to never really move forward. Same kind of idea with screenplays, I'm thinking? Yeah, very much so, and I've, I've worked on things that go for a very long time, um, because of the, of, of the time factor, let me tell you very briefly uh, how the four magic questions work. And um, I've used them to help people write business books, travel books, memoirs, uh, develop TV shows. Uh, one of my uh, protégés was nominated for an Emmy this year. Um, and uh, basic ideas I was saying at the break is that Joseph Campbell identified the idea that there is a basic story. It's within us. And really, the trick is, how do you release the story that you're trying to tell? Okay. How do you get the crazy grapes out of your head into a wine bottle so people can recognize what you're doing, right? Right. And that's the, that's the purpose of structure. And in order to write a good screenplay outside, you know, in the first try that you've never written before, you have to satisfy what the audience will want to know about your story. So the four questions, uh, you know, uh, basic act structure for almost everything is three acts, beginning, middle, and end. Almost everybody knows this, right? Um, in a movie, uh, again, we're using the two-hour American narrative as our example. Uh, you have three 
acts. One is a half hour, one's an hour, and one's another half hour. And the problem for many people is that the long, the second act is very long, and it's hard to take a story, tell a story for an hour. You know, it's, it's hard work. So at a certain point, I realized that really act two had two parts. And so I sort of went Shakespeare on it. And so now in, in, in the Four Magic Questions, we have act uh, one, act two, part one, act two, part two, and act three. So act one asks, what is my character's dream? Right? And the dream is a simple dream. The, you know, Dorothy wants to find home. Luke wants to become a Jedi Knight. Right? It's very, very simple. Right. And then Luke wants to get off Tantooine at the basic thing, and then he dreams of other things. Got it? Okay. Big Star Wars geek. Yeah, me too. Me too. And then, um, uh, and then actually part one uh, it, it is either the dream or the nightmare. Now, in the case of Star Wars, it's the dream because he gets off Tatooine and now he's learning to use the Force, right? Right. But in The Wizard of Oz, it's the nightmare because she ends up in Oz after the tornado. So it can be either way, but the idea is you do those, two, you do those parts, uh, and, and then the third magic question is who or what would my main character quote-unquote die for? And that's a different part of the story where the character must undergo an ordeal uh, to become the person who can solve the story problem because otherwise there's no movie. If he could have done it in Act 1, we have no movie or no screenplay or no TV show. So in Luke's case, of course, he gets on the Death Star and they get stuck in the trash compactor, right? Right. And he has to he has to step up and become a hero and he uses R2-D2 to prevent them from getting squished. And his reward is that he gets the plans to the Death Star. And then okay. with those plans, now Act 3 can occur because he has been transformed into a person who believes he can be a hero and he's been given the secret knowledge, like in a fairy tale or a myth, which is the Death Star plans. And now he can uh, affect the future in the third act. And in the Wizard of Oz, it's exactly the same structure. She, she gets to Oz. Uh, uh, you know, she has to go on the yellow brick road. She gets to see the wizard. The wizard won't send her home until she gets the witch's broom. She has to get the witch's broom, which she does. That's the who or what would she die for in Act 2, Part 2. And then in Act 3, um, she goes and she gets herself back to Kansas using her uh, ruby slippers once she realizes that the wizard is not a wizard. Okay, so now if, taking those two examples, the Wizard of Oz, classic, the Star Wars, legendary, really, what it's become and developed into. Both those movies, both of those examples, thinking of it with your four magic questions, I see that the writer then had to do that for other characters as well. In Star Wars, you had to answer those same four questions for Han Solo, for Princess Leia, for even C-3PO and R2-D2. And most importantly for Darth Vader and the Emperor. And, yeah, and, and Darth Vader. And, and then carry that in this particular case of Star Wars through sometimes successfully and sometimes unsuccessfully so many newer movies. And in The Wizard of Oz, you had the Scarecrow and the Tin Man and the Lion and, you know... Glinda, the good, you know, the good witch, and and the wizard himself, and and all these other characters. Is it? It sounds like it's as simple as 
answer these questions for all your characters and then loop them together? Yes, and then, then you need the, the, the structure and how to write a screenplay in 10 weeks, how to lay that out, because the structure of any film has a certain shape. So this is the preparation work to now be able to structure the screenplay and figure out what themes go in where and what events have to happen with the right kind of preparation. So all this stuff is very simple. It's not easy. And we're not taking into account whether or not the, the writer has any talent. But let me say one more thing about the formatic questions and explain why they're foolproof. Okay. Now, also, you have to understand, I've worked on a lot of business books where people have to tell their own story, but professionally. Right. It's the same story. It's the same thing. You know, if you, if you were going to do a, a memoir or uh, actually you really do this in your book, which I think is, by the way, a wonderful book. Um, Thank you. Uh, because you talk about your dreams. You know, you want to understand your world. You talk about the nightmare, your divorce, and stuff like that. And you, you talk about how, you know, you're willing to get honest and ask the right questions, and you succeeded. You know, it, it's the same. It, it, you answer the format of questions without even knowing it. I think I must have, in some other life, taken your course. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, it's, I think it's deeper than that. I think I just identified something that we do, and I made it simple. Right. You know, sort of like, a, like, you know, like Kleenex. You know, like, like uh, sure, you need someone to blow your nose into, right? Right. So someone invented it, and that, that's it. You know, so hopefully, you know, someday the four magic questions will be like Kleenex. Everybody will just go, oh, yeah, that's what we do. So the trick here, if anybody's listening and, and you're, or you're interested in working on, on something, Laura, is the key is that you don't do the structuring in order, and that's the secret sauce. Okay, so the secret Wait, sauce... and then stop, stop one sec. You do not do it in order? No, I'll, it's, I'll, you know, in other words, there's Act 1, Act 2, Part 1, Act 2, Part 2, and Act, and Act 3. If you try to structure it straight through like that, you're going to have the same problem that everybody else has. And so there's a, there's a trick, a secret sauce, that allows you to never have to struggle. Okay. And, okay, and the way that you do that is you, 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 you think of your story in the following order. You, you, you think up what, what is going to happen in Act 1. You decide how it's going to be resolved in Act 3. Then you go back to Act 2, Part 1. And remember I said it's the dream or the nightmare, so whatever is going on in Act 1, you reverse it in Act 2, Part 1, right? And now you have three-quarters of your story structured in no time. Make sense? So you start with Act 1, then you go to Act 3, what's the resolution, and then, then you go back in and start fleshing it out of how they get between those two things. Right. So Act 2, Part 1 is the reverse. So you know that, you know, if, if, uh, if Luke is unhappy and is in the nightmare in Act 1, the Act 2, Part 1 must be the dream, must be a, a positive expansion of the story. Make sense? Okay. And then we know at the end he triumphs. But now the hard part in storytelling is that uh, stories are journeys. And Act 2, Part 2 is the part where most people really get stuck because it's not really the same movie. It's not dragging the plot all the way through. It's, okay, my character now has to have an experience like life that will transform him or her into a hero who's capable of fulfilling uh, the, the problem that was started in Act 1. So in the case of, of Luke Skywalker, um, he, has to, he has to become a hero to save his friend. And by doing so, he 
transforms into a hero. And then his reward is the secret knowledge, which we need as a plot device, which is the Death of the Plans for Death Star. Right? In Dorothy, Dorothy has to, uh, let, has to throw water on the witch and let her die. Uh, and and, and she, then she uh, realizes that she has the power in the ruby slippers to get herself home, and then she has to use it. I have goosebumps. So when, you, when you're creating stories, it's the second, it's back to part two that's the hard part. So, you know, I'm a big believer in, 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 in doing things in a smart way. And the smart way is to do the easy parts first. And then usually what the ordeal has to be is sort of indicated by the story you set up. And um, uh, if anybody's interested, they can sign up for my newsletter. My website is marilynharwitz.com. And I send out a weekly blog. I have a lot of uh, material about this stuff free that's posted on my website, that, you know, in tutorials, video tutorials, because I really am passionate about getting storytellers to understand how simple it is to structure a story so we can figure out if it's going to be any good. You know, because we get tired. You, you know, you waste, you, if you work stupidly, you, you, you don't have enough energy left to, to do the, the work that you really need to do, which is to create these great characters and come up with a great concept and plot. One of the things you're known for, Marilyn, is helping people go from start to finish in a very short period of time. What do you tell people who go, well, I'm afraid to sign up for a class like that. I'm afraid to work to deadline because I get writer's block so often. What do you say to your students or your clients when they're saying, well, I have writer's block? Well, I don't believe in writer's block. Um, I think writers are smart, and I think when you're not writing, it's because you don't know what you're writing about. And so why would you write? I mean, I think if it, if it has to be reframed and full writer's block thing to me as a marketing technique. Um, and uh, actually, when I started uh, out in my business, I was a specialist in curing writer's block. But I was able to do it in 10 minutes, and so I couldn't make a living at it. And if you want to play, we can do this even over the phone. Do you have a piece of paper handy? Yeah. Okay. Take the piece and, of paper. And my listeners, off. if you are if you are driving your car, please do not do this exercise while you're driving. If you want to do it, pull over or listen to the podcast when you're safe at home. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> or do it men- do it mentally. So take a piece of paper and draw like a you know a little square, uh, maybe two inches in diameter in the middle of your page. Okay. And write the first word that comes into your mind. Okay. All right. I wrote flowers. What did you write? Play. Okay. Now, you can't have writer's block anymore, can you? Because you just wrote. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. I love that. That's so true. But yet, I had an outside prompt that helped me cut through and focus. Well, that's why you work with coach. Okay. Uh, or that, you know, you know what I mean? In other words, where you find your own prompts. You can use a dictionary, you can write, you can write, but you just have to, have, the real issue is, is, is if you're doing this work alone, again, not while you're driving, obviously, is you work with a timer, and you set the timer for five minutes, and you just write anything. I mean, you just write anything. Like, I hate writing, I have writer's block, I'm never going to be any good. After five minutes, things transform, and then you sort of start to get into it. Um, and then the other tool for writer's block is simply to take someone else's book and start typing it, you know, copying it, typing it, 
And within five or ten minutes, you're going to find yourself rewriting it, and ideas will start flowing. You know, oh, that's very fascinating. So, so take somebody... I make a okay. living. You make a living, say? No, I say I couldn't make a living because I could churn so fast, so that's why I went on to do other things and develop my writing system. I mean, I'm joking, but it was also true. I, I had such a facility, and, you know, once people wrote in that little box, they were like, you know what, you're right. It's interesting because it was so simple, and you took me outside my the way I was thinking. You know, I'm focused on the the show, the interview, getting all your incredible ideas shared out to my audience as much as I can in the about 50 minutes of actual airtime we have. And you've shaken up my whole idea of I've got writer's block. Why have I not been writing? And what's come to me is because I don't know, I'm not fully thought out of my what is the main character's dream, worst nightmare. I haven't answered the four magic questions for the current book that I'm working on because I'm not fully invested in it yet. Sure, you have to ask the questions of yourself. That's critical, which is what's my dream for this project? Yeah, because since my mom passed away two years ago, I've been wanting to write this book. I have a title for it, an idea for it. It's called A Little Bit Disheveled. It's sort of the next level of um, the What Would a Wise Woman Do book where I talk about how, I've had to, how I had to let go perfection and my ideas of perfection. But I'm not fully vested in it because I've not thought about the dream, my worst nightmare to die for. I'm, I'm, I think I'm actually stuck in worst nightmare. My worst nightmare right. is I will never be able to write again. Right. I will never so get another one. Own it. Yeah. Own that. And, and write from there, you see. That's, that's the key is you write from where you are. So, you know, tomorrow morning, if you like, take a timer, do the box, put one word in, and then write about that word. You know, like, like when I get off, if I haven't done my work this morning because we're going first, I will, I will set my timer. I literally will do this. I will set my timer, and for five minutes I will write anything I feel like about flowers. Okay. So, you know, and also your mother only died two years ago. I mean, forgive me, I'm a coach, so I, I work with a lot of people. It takes a while, and one of the ways to get yourself to do this is, is let this book be in her honor, and that will... That's your dream is to write this book to honor your mother. Which it is. Right? And then your worst nightmare is that you won't you won't write it as to honor your mother. And then who or what would you die for is you would die to honor your mother. So you can see that you're gonna become more active and then the outcome is you write the book and you honor your mother. Right. And everybody knows the amazing woman she was. Right. But I'm saying if if you if you if you let yourself be a character in your in the, in the movie of your life this tool is very effective. So you're in your worst nightmare. So the way that you get out of your worst nightmare is you literally write your way out of it. You know, like Harold of the Magic Crayon? Yeah. That children's book? Just, uh-huh. The crayon is the, is the box I just gave you. Marilyn, I'm so glad you were on the show today. <laughs> you know, and every five, every, every day for five minutes, you write about whatever you put in that little box. And you don't, don't get on your own case. Just... Get, you know, give yourself 30 days to start getting your muscles back. It's just writing every single day, starting yeah, with one word. 
whatever the first word that comes into your mind is. Into your mind, use a dictionary. There are lots of books of writing prompts. Okay. Now, I, I know you mentioned your website earlier in the show, but what's the best way, again, to... And MarilynHorowitz.com is your website, right? Yes, yes, it is. And, and they, uh, I just send out a... Go ahead. I send out a, a weekly newsletter with writing prompts, which is another thing that you could use. Um, and uh, I have about 100 or 150 of them collected on the, on the website. And I send out one every week, and I have an article on... Uh, when you sign up for the uh, newsletter, you get a free article on how to write a treatment, which is how you write a dramatic story. But it's very useful. Uh, it would be useful for you in trying to think of the book about your mother's life and stuff like that because it, it shows you literally how to use prose to sort of start organizing something and also use your visual material. Yeah, and I must have at some point in time when I signed up on your website years ago, uh, it's probably in my email somewhere, but I, I mean, your website has how you do television writing evaluation and guidance, scene writing evaluation, your classes, your seminars. I love your weekly emails. I read them all the time. Oh, thank you so much. You don't, again, you've made my day twice already. <laughs> well, you, you know, the joy for me with my show is I get to bring people on who have shifted my way of thinking. And I've been very blessed in my life to have met amazing people, famous or not. But in my life, they've, they've affected me deeply. And something they said or did, the lunch you and I had when you spoke up at Author 101, all of those things, you know, these people have shifted my thinking. And once again, you did as well again on the radio today. And I think it's so important for my listeners and for me to share that, right? Because not everybody has people in their life like you, but they need people in their life like you. Well, we all we all need to. We all we all need that. I mean, that's the. But you know, like I, I you know, I, I suppose I read your book and I found your book equally, you know, equally liking. I'm like, wow. You know, yeah, maybe I'm asking the wrong questions, and even more, wow, I can know. And that was what thrilled me. That's what it's like, yeah, I can know when I'm asking the wrong questions. Awesome. Never occurred to me. It occurred to me if I made a mistake, that was it. Couldn't fix it. Yeah. So what's the last thought you'd like to leave my my listeners with? Uh, that, that, um, that we all have a, an innate story, and if we're willing to use a technique like the four magic questions as a way of, 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 of taking score wherever you are about whatever you're working on, uh, you will find that, uh, that making decisions about what you want to spend your time doing will change tremendously. Okay. I think that's so important. You need to say it one more time. Yes, but if you, if you, if you are willing to, to play and use the four magic questions as, as if you were the, the, the main character in your own movie, it's a way of becoming very clear about what you want to be doing and why you're not doing it. Uh, I do it all the time, and I, I, it's made me not choose to do a lot of things that would have wasted a lot of time and ultimately would not have been satisfying. I love that the four yeah. magic questions of screenwriting are for life, not just for writing. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on the show with me today, Marilyn. 
and for sharing your wisdom with my listeners. Well, thank you for having me, and um, it was a pleasure, Laura, and I hope we get to see each other sometime soon. Oh, I hope so, too. I know you're going to be at Author 101 in January, and you're, you're everywhere out there. So everybody go to MarilynHorowitz.com and sign up. I highly recommend it, uh, not only for writing, but for life. And remember, everybody, the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? Have a great day, everyone, and hug someone you love. been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.